Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Shaheen Gadir with the Fertile Life Podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, today, I am very honored to have Carol Gelbard here. Um, Carol is a colleague of mine from a board membership that I had um, with the Neuromuscular Disease Foundation. Hi, Carol. Hi, Dr. Gadir. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm really happy that you've joined me today. Um, I wanted to let everyone know um, that Carol uh, received her master's in social work at UCLA. Uh, for more than 15 years, she's worked with children and adults performing individual family and group therapies in hospitals and schools and private practices. Um, she has been involved for about eight years with the Neuromuscular Disease Foundation, which at one time I was on their board as well and very involved. She is currently the Director of Emotional Wellness um, at the NDF. Um, and I am very glad that she is here today because I wanted to talk about something that comes up a lot in my community. Um, as many people know, um, I am from Iranian descent um, and also here in Los Angeles where there is a very large population of individuals from uh, Iran. Um, there are some neuromuscular diseases that have popped up in our population that by joining this organization I realized actually has popped up in other communities around the world. But for the purposes of the Fertile Life podcast and everything I do in the world of fertility, I think it's beyond important for us to be aware that single gene mutations or disorders in general, so a disease that pops up in your, in your heritage that goes to you, in this day and age, if a male and a female or the sperm source and the egg source, both are carriers of the same disorder, we do not have to sit there and do a statistical game of Russian roulette where 25% of offspring have the actual disease and have to suffer in the future, we are able to do special testing with the purposes of in vitro fertilization and an extra step of genetic testing, which is past just checking the 46 chromosomes for the well-being that we do, for example, for Down syndrome and other chromosomal abnormalities. We are able to identify, as long as the disorder has been identified on which chromosome it is, we are able to identify exactly where it's located and on every embryo decide and diagnose which one is diseased, which one is just the carrier, and which one is completely, completely clean of any kind of disorder whatsoever. So with that being said, Carol, I appreciate everything that you do for the Neuromuscular Disease Foundation, and I'd love for you to tell my audience a little bit more about what it is and what you do, because uh, I think this is such an important topic for us to discuss. Yeah, you know, first of all, it was a pleasure. Dr. Gadir and I worked on the board together for many years, and what we've seen at the Neuromuscular Disease Foundation is we're really trying to help educate the community about GNE myopathy, which is a specific uh, muscle wasting disease that's um, a little more prevalent in the Persian Jewish community, as Dr. Gadir said. So, part of what has happened in my role now, I'm the emotional wellness director, is we're doing a lot on encouraging screening and encouraging prevention and doing more outreach to let people know you're at higher risk for this. You have a responsibility to push uh, and find out you know, if you are a carrier. And we have a young group of people, the NDF ambassadors, that go out and do functions to really encourage people to do genetic testing. Um, so that's one of my roles. And I also help um, patients who actually have this uh, muscle wasting disease, which is a very serious disease. And they're 
is something that if you can avoid it, it's something I would really recommend that people look into. It is a hard disease to live with. Um, many patients end up in a wheelchair within 10 years of onset. And um, as you said, it's a genetic disease and it can be prevented. And um, that's why I felt compelled because now we're getting a younger generation that's doing these screenings and they're finding out their carriers and they are really overwhelmed on what do I do next? So I want to address that. And I think that's the most important first step. So first of all, genetic screening, every single person at some time or another, at least when it's getting close to having a child, should be doing a simple blood test, which is called a genetic screening test. Um, we use a panel currently in my office um, that is called SEMA4, S-E-M-A, the number four. It's just one of many that are out there. We're very comfortable with it. It right now checks for 283 different disorders, many different um, brands are out there. Many companies are doing this testing. So the first thing I think you do is ask your general carrier physician or your OBGYN um, or a geneticist, you know, where to do these. Like Carol was just saying, in the community here in Los Angeles, the ambassadors, which are a younger division of the Neuromuscular Disease Foundation Board, set up events where they are encouraging the younger population to do this testing because, as always, knowledge is power. Knowing that you are a carrier, there are things that you can do. And we do this every year for people that come in and both husband and wife are carriers of these disorders that we can test and check for and make sure that it is stopped because unfortunately, as Carol said, it's a progressive disorder that usually within 10 years on average can put you into a wheelchair. Um, I have seen it unfortunately affect people that I dearly care about. And we all know that this is so difficult. Um, some of the strongest people I have seen deal with this, and I'm so proud of what they do to fight and what they have done to get involved and to promote and to do everything that they can. So that is one thing that I am so honored and that's why I really wanted to participate right. in this. But the screening process, um, how do you guys do the screening process and where and what is your recommendation? I, I, that's the ways that we recommend it. Well, I think there's a lot of ways to do it. I think they, you can get these at-home tests. J-Screen does stuff. Obviously, I think it's better to go to your J -screen? doctor. J-Screen? J-Screen is a place that does it for Jewish diseases. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you can look on our website. We have a bunch of information. Well, can you say the website, please? Sure. It's Cure, G-N-E-M. Dot org. So that stands for curegnemyopathy.org. Got it. So curegnem.org. Wonderful. Okay. So that's a place that you can go to do it. But again, you can talk to your primary care physician. You can talk to your OBGYN. Um, and I think that every single person, every couple out there before they try to conceive needs to do this kind of testing. Yeah. Uh, to be very honest, um, our sperm donors and also our egg donors that are anonymous are also tested for these things so that they don't randomly uh, mate their egg and sperm with someone else and have these problems. So once you are diagnosed to be a carrier, what do you do? So, Well, we have gotten as I have told you, because there's been a push for screening, we are getting young people contacting us now saying, what do I do? And um, I have had sessions to help people kind of talk about what it feels like when you find out your carrier that you might need to process some of your feelings of like, this might not be something you want to deal with. 
and you might have to kind of explore what your options are and it, and it's not that it, it you know i think for people just to even look at fertility and talk to a fertility doctor there's a lot of like misconceptions about that and there's a lot of stigma about that so that would of course be my first step is go in for a consultation with a fertility doctor and just find out what options you have if you want to make sure that you don't pass on this genetic disorder to your child and by the way I, I like that you said roulette because some of the feedback I'm getting is like one in four chance but it's kind of like rolling the dice it could be more than that you know you could yeah, you could get that one out of right. four every time in a row exactly so we have seen it in our community like you say and a lot of times I'm getting feedback saying well it doesn't seem that common because I don't see people in our community that have it so I have to kind of and I knew, I don't know, you and I have talked a little bit about that. Sometimes um, in our community, in the Persian community, there isn't a lot of talk about this. And I don't know if you feel comfortable at talking a little bit about why that might be and the stigma with certain type of diseases and why it's sometimes hard for people to talk about this. So as I, you know, we are so lucky here in North America and the United States that it's people have a voice and they talk about things and they're proud of things mm -hmm. um, I think around the world I, we have to be a little sensitive I, I think like in my parents generation and coming from the Middle East and mm -hmm. from a lot of other places you and also because I traveled to Asia and to China 12 times over the last three right. years before the pandemic I realized that keeping your face and keeping your what appears to be as perfect as possible and as strong as possible in many cultures is the accepted norm right. Right. and being very open about a major supposed flaw even though it's treatable and there's things to do about it right now before someone is actually um, diagnosed with having it so is a lot for people to probably talk yeah. about. Now, I think the generations have changed tremendously. Right. Um, in the last 18 years of being involved in the world of fertility, what I've noticed is things have changed tremendously. Right. So I'm very glad to hear that. But now that we are aware of the fact um, that there are options and there are ways to keep yourself from passing this on, mm -hmm. I think people will be talking about it. And I'm very proud about the younger generation um, that is out there, you know, spreading the word and doing things and getting involved. And um, I think that's a, we're on the, the right, right track and the right road. I now, I also want to be very clear that this is just an example of one neuromuscular disease. It is an example of one genetic disease. As I said, there are 283 different disorders that are passed on or tested on the testing panel in my office. And every year, there are a couple of people that call me and said, I didn't know I carried this, and I, my husband didn't know he carried that, and now we have a child with this disorder of some kind or another, and it really, really, really breaks my heart. So those are the 283 most common. Sadly, there are people that somehow meet their mate in this world that carry significant other testing that isn't even out there, but this is at least the best we can do. So I think once someone is diagnosed as a carrier, they have to understand what that means. A carrier is someone that has this silent mutation in their body that is never going to manifest with them actually having the disorder or disease. They're going to go their entire life and it's going to be in their system. It is a problem and it manifests itself when two people that both are carriers have a child together. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're trying to keep from happening. 
But I loved what you said about knowledge is power. So when you would you know hear of a young couple that comes to see you, some of the questions they're going to ask is, what are my options at this point? What can I do? And what would you advise them? So in order to check for the genetics of an embryo, we have to have the embryo outside in an incubator in the in vitro environment. The word in vitro means outside of the human body. So we take the eggs from the female, not all the eggs in her body, just the eggs that grow that month. So if you're young and you're healthy, maybe 15, 20 eggs, we put them with sperm from the partner. We make embryos. We allow these embryos to grow for about a week five to seven days to be exact, in our incubators, whichever embryo does grow to the full grown stage, which is called a blastocyst, gets a tiny biopsy, removing a couple cells from the placental side, not from the fetal side, which is all equal cells, and then those embryos are frozen. The genetic testing before the IVF begins involves making a DNA probe from the male and the female. Making a DNA probe from both of the partners allows us to have exact knowledge of where the defect is noted in the DNA. So when we go to look at the embryo, we know exactly where to look for the, the defect as well on the DNA. So it tells us if it actually has both the maternal and fetal, I'm sorry, the maternal and uh, paternal uh, genetics, which is actually the it's going to be the embryo that has the disorder. Right. And that's how we kind of weed out the ones that are not and have, are not the carriers. So those are really important testing for us. It is called single gene mutation testing, okay. also called pre-implantation genetic testing for a um, single mutation, which is PGTM. Right. And if they, is there other options if they don't want to do IVF or PGD? So if you're not going to take the egg from the female and the sperm from the male, mm -hmm. the other option is potentially to use an egg donor mm -hmm. or a sperm donor mm -hmm. that is not a carrier mm -hmm. so that you can almost guarantee that one of the partners is not going to be a carrier. Okay. And then the child will either be a carrier, just like the parent that has the carrier gene and never have the disease, or like the other parent, not carry the gene at all. And then my other question is, can they do fetal testing for this if a couple does not do, which obviously we would recommend you do PGD or you do IVF, but if they decide not to do that, can you find out through fetal testing whether the uh, fetus or the embryos? So from the them? perspective of a fertility specialist, I think it would be very, very bad medicine Mm -hmm. to allow someone to continue and try to conceive. And then once the fetus is 15 to 20 weeks, when it's time for an amnio to do the appropriate testing, and if it's then noted that the fetus is affected, to then do a termination. Yeah. Now, I am also not a maternal fetal medicine specialist or a high-risk obstetrician, so I'm not sure. I think that you can check for lots of diseases, including this one, at the time of an amniocentesis, but I'm not sure because okay. that's just so far. Right. And I've never, ever had someone who both male and female were carriers decide to just roll the dice and figure it out five months later. Right. 
And I don't suggest it to anyone right. either right. because having to do a termination at that time is risky and can affect your future fertility and it's emotionally and physically not the best idea at all. And I'm glad you brought that up because that has been discussed and, and I think it's important that people understand what are the risks associated with that. And then what about um, when a couple wants to conceive naturally? Um, and we had talked about this before for religious families that may want to have, have to let go of maybe not having sexual intercourse to conceive a baby. What, what do you suggest in that situation and what has your office done to kind of accommodate those patients? Um, so we have actually a lot of religious patients in our practice. Mm -hmm. um, I just gave a lecture about a week and a half ago at the PUA Foundation, P-U-A-H. Um, and they come with patients, they refer patients to us. They allow all of the laws of Orthodox Judaism mm -hmm. um, to allow the genetic testing and fertility treatments that are allowed. Mm -hmm. And they come and observe, and they are there every single step of the way. Um, and we have complete support from the Orthodox Jewish population in mm -hmm. helping fertility patients mm -hmm. and doing everything that we can to allow for every family to have beautiful, healthy kids. And the Pua Foundation it does an excellent job at helping raise money to help people to do this if they don't have the money to do so um, and also to help them find the right places to go so we really appreciate them for that a lot um i wanted to ask a question just in general because you know carol you've dedicated your life to mental health well-being and it is such a big part of my practice mm -hmm. um have you noticed more and more people talking about their fertility issues you know I think it's something that is getting better, just like a lot of things that we talked about. I think people are more open. Um, and I'll, you know, I think what's happened too, as we're realizing that it's not so unusual to have challenges, it's not so unusual to have some fertility issues, that it's feeling like it's becoming less taboo. Um, and even when you're talking about this, I also myself was a patient at Southern California Reproductive Center where you've worked. Um, and I had to go through IVF pro uh, the IVF process, not because I had a genetic problem, but I had other issues that were impacting my fertility. And I could see when you're first looking into this process, how incredibly overwhelming it can feel. And you might have to grieve that you're not having the child in the way that you envisioned. And that that might take a minute for couples to wrap their head around of like, it might feel like a lot. And it did for me at the time, but now I'll tell you, my IVF baby turned 14 yesterday. Oh, wow. And you don't think about it after you have the baby. It's a small sacrifice that you do. You take the shots, you do the hormones, you do all that. And then when you have your baby, you don't re remember that. Like, you forget about it. Yeah. And you have a beautiful child, a healthy child, that you are going to enjoy for the rest of your life. And I feel like, you know, hopefully the rest of your life. But, you know, I feel like often people don't talk about their fertility. But I do think it's getting better. And now there's so much in mental health from maternal medicine and fertility issues. There's groups that people can be a part of. Um, I have helped counsel people and, you know, even if your path might not be the path you envision, there's so many options and with, it's, it's amazing what fertility 
treatments, what we can do now that we couldn't do before. Um, and the other thing I'll tell you too, I know we get a lot of genie myopathy patients that are looking at fertility too. Um, and how do they have a, a child? And you know, I know we, you and I have touched on this, but are you, you know, can we talk a little bit if you are a patient that has this disease but want to have children? Um, what are, what is your guidance on that? Um, so, for someone who carries this, actually has the disease, um, we have helped many people where we have done the egg retrieval process um, and got their own biological eggs out. We have fertilized with the partner's sperm, made beautiful embryos, um, and found them wonderful surrogates to carry to term, um, and they did really well. So that is definitely something that we can offer as well, and our third-party reproductive division that helps people get sperm donors and egg donors um, is very, very good uh, in doing so and also finding surrogates as well. So we can definitely help with all of that. So would you advise someone who has this disease um, and talk a little, can you help understand the genetics? If, if, a, if a person has it, what, and then the partner is not a carrier, what is the probability of having a child with this disease if the parent, one of the parents impacted but the other parent's not So a if one of the parent is impacted with the disease, they're able to send off one gene. No one sends two genes. So you okay. can send one gene and then if your partner does not carry the gene at all, then your child is either going to be a carrier or not get a gene at all. Okay. But and that does not mean that your, your child will ever have that disease if your partner does not carry it. Okay. And what about what is your experience if someone has this disease and going through a pregnancy and what it might do? So that is not, there's not clear evidence on that. Okay. Um, there have been some reproductive age women um, that got pregnant and kind of started to have some symptoms, but we have absolutely no idea if it's the pregnancy that brought and the symptoms on sooner or if they were gonna come at the same exact time as well. Right, and that's what's tricky about GNMF because it usually happens in your 20s, sometimes earlier, so it's around the same time that a lot of people look at you know, starting a family. And that's even more reason to do the genetic testing you know, beforehand so you know. Absolutely, absolutely such an important topic and um, I appreciate the fact that you are now uh, the director of let me get that title exactly <laughs> correct it was, I loved it actually it's a director of emotional wellness program uh, at NDF and uh, you know what we need many more directors of wellness right. and emotional wellness in every single part of our life um, I really appreciate you going out of your way to come here and talk about this and all of the work that you've done for the Neuromuscular Disease Foundation and all of the work that you do for all of your patients and everyone that you support um, at the level of mental health because I think it's so important. So thank you so much for being here today and coming in and talking to me. Of course. Um, and it's fantastic to see you. And I wanted to thank everyone. Um, if anyone has questions about any kind of genetically passed disorder by all means please call the clinic and make an appointment so we can discuss it um, but i wanted to thank everyone who listened to this incredibly important episode of the fertile life podcast thank you and take care of yourselves